Hello, hello, hello. Good afternoon, good evening, good morning. You're tuned in listening to the Cinematic Odyssey here on U92 The Moose. Uh, we're back um, after quite a funny film, The Square, and we're going in the complete opposite direction. Nothing's funny about this one. Uh, we're talking about Autumn Sonata um, from the masterful genius filmmaking genius may he rest in peace ingmar bergman swedish filmmaker this is his like i don't even know what number this is 20th or 15th 17th 18th i don't know something film uh featuring acting giants ingrid bergman and liv ullman who's been featured in quite a lot of uh Ingmar Bergman films. Um, and just to give a little bit of a background to Bergman and his work, for those that don't know, I mean, he's a very uh, highly uh, acclaimed director. He is considered to be one of cinema's greatest filmmakers. And a lot of his works, uh, he kind of deals with the themes of family, uh, Christianity, and humanity tackling humanity from a um, kind of personal lens in terms of dissecting it with uh, relationships between family members because uh, that's something that he he deals with in a lot of his work personally I've seen outside of this one I've seen the seventh seal um, I've seen winter light and Fanny and Alexander, and I believe that's it. And then Autumn Sonata. Oh no, I know. I've also seen Persona, so I've seen four of his works up until this point. Uh, the Autumn Sonata is now the fifth, and I gotta say, this one has easily been the one that has struck me the most out of all the others that I've seen up until this point. Um. I think I've come away watching this with a more moving and more of a concrete idea of what Bergman was trying to get at. Uh, although that isn't to say like all his films are confusing. Like they're pretty straightforward. Uh, I think the only confusing one, at least what I've seen is persona. That one's like really wild. Um, but Autumn Sonata follows a mother and a mother and her daughter. It's a very simple film, and uh, they hash it out one night. Um, well, the the daughter hadn't hasn't seen her mother in in seven years, so she invites her mom to come to her house, and because I guess a a, a family friend had passed away recently. And so she felt bad, so she invited her mom just to kind of get her mind off of it. And what ended up taking place was not a very nice trip, but a trip turned into a sour one where the daughter spills out her grievances with her mom about her childhood trauma um, with herself and her sister, who I don't even know what she has. I don't know what like disability she has. Um, maybe Max, you know. I don't know. No. 
Um, don't they don't specify all that we know is that it's somewhat degenerative she's paralyzed for the most part and it has taken for the most part her power of speech so yeah could be a number of things my my thought in my head was cerebral palsy but they don't they don't specify and it's not necessarily specified outside of the film either yeah and before i continue want to make uh, an introduction to our special guest here on the show. She's been on here multiple times. Uh, uh, my lovely girlfriend, Mackenzie. Mm-hmm. Thanks for coming on. Of course. Hi, everybody. Um, so, yeah, I mean, the film itself is pretty simple. I mean, nothing crazy plot-wise about it. But that is, uh, if you're coming into the film... Just with that, you may think, oh, this is probably going to be boring. No, trust me, it's not boring. It's very riveting. Because the writing and most especially the acting in this is, oh my lord, <laughs> it's crazy. Um, What did you think, Max? I thought it was really cool. I thought it was really good. I, I didn't, I'll be honest, I didn't know where a lot of this was going because it felt just very philosophical very ideological very text heavy without having at least the first half of the film is very very it's not it's not concrete it's dancing around the point a little bit so you're kind of getting a feel for how the characters mesh together because it's one location one place um the same four characters throughout the entirety of the film for the most part and i mean it they all of a sudden they flip a switch and damn it gets really good really quickly um i mean gosh uh bit by the way uh for the cast and the the development because this can kind of mark the ending of a lot of collaboration and kind of bookmarks the back of ingmar bergman's career this was his last film that was produced for a theatrical release of all of them everything else went to television uh this was ingrid bergman's who played charlotte uh the mother in the film. This is her final film role. Liv Ullman, who plays Ava, the daughter. It's her fifth and final collaboration with Bergman. Uh, and then also starring Halvar Bjork as Victor, uh, Ava's husband, and Lena Nyman as Helena, um, Ava's sister, and by extension, Charlotte's daughter. It's those four people, the whole film, and I love it. I love it. I really want, I, I you know, like with with the movies that I've been seeing this year, with these kind of like tight locations, I love them. Um, there was Sanctuary with Margaret Qualley and Christopher Abbott, two people, one room, hour and a half, loved it. Uh, the holdovers, yeah, there are more people that kind of come and go, but generally the same tight, tiny cast, loved that one. And, like, the beginning is just kind of, if you like Angels in America, you'll probably like 
the beginning of what was it called? Autumn Sonata? Um, because it's got that same kind of philosophical, ideological ideas and, and text and dialogue. You get to the end. Oh, boy. Yeah, because, I mean, while I was watching this, I guess I was kind of in the same boat. I was like, okay, where is this going? And then, obviously, when the when it hit the fan, it hit the fan. <laughs> when it, what were you think? I mean, what was going through your mind when when you were watching this? I would say the same thing. Um, I'll be honest. I mean, in the past when I've watched Bergman, um, I have not taken away quite as much. I kind of had the same feelings of like waiting for it to kind of hit me and affect me in the way that um, I'd I'd prefer a movie to but I could I think Bergman with this film does a great job of I could kind of feel the tension building it's so but and it's natural and it feels really really real really really raw and it's you know it's like life you know like mm -hmm. you everything's fine until it's not you know and I think oh my goodness it's I loved it a lot, way more than I was expecting to. And I'm glad we watched it together. Oh, yeah. yeah. Um, nice. Because, I mean, with with his previous works that I had watched, um, although Fanny and Alexander came out after this, this came out in 82, this was 78. Um, that had a, did that not have a theatrical release? It did not. Uh, I believe it went straight to television. It was also four hours, wasn't it? Oh, okay. Because there was a theatrical ver cut. There was like a theater cut of that of that film. Same with Scenes of a Marriage. Although that came out in 74. So that was before, before honestly. Yeah. But regardless. Um, yeah, it was, I was, uh, you know, because when I would watch, when I watched like, for example, Persona, um because that film is probably his most famous work um and his most highly acclaimed that one well that one for one was very experimental in the way that he edited the film and like his direction uh, was kind of new wave inspired esque although it did come out that film did come out in the 60s uh mid 60s but persona which also has Liv Ullman in it that one it's not it's very confusing it's a very confusing film and so i guess when i watched that i was just like uh i don't really know to think about this i mean i guess it was good <laughs> that was about it <laughs> and then Seventh Seal, Seventh Seal was a lot more clear in its themes. Um, and then Fanny and Alexander, I really loved. And then Autumn Sonata was just like, okay, this knocked it out of the park for me in mm -hmm. terms of uh, really enjoying his work. I mean, he has so many films. He has like 60 or something. 
But in terms of his most important essential works, or he has like 71, 71 films, but in, in, in terms of his, of his most important and essential works, there's like 30-something films uh, that are like essential to his filmography. But regardless, um, this was really great. And man, there was so many good one-liners in this film that uh, yeah. Ava says. But you know, before that whole moment, or I guess not moment, but like the final act of the film, I feel like there's that, I mean, as you kind of mentioned, there's that tension that is there, especially when they're playing the piano together. Oh, yeah. That whole sequence is very potent and um, there's, yeah, there's like a attention in the air when it comes to when when they were playing that those yeah. those pieces i've got something okay. i've got something for kind of the whole bit because i think it's incredibly important with both the title of the work as well as the fact that the mother is a retired actually i don't know if she's retired she's off and on concert pianist but also that her daughter is playing the piano. Um, Autumn Sonata. Autumn, we could take any symbolic nature that we want and say that, oh, she's in the autumn of her life. Uh, it's winding down. What has she been doing besides, you know, worrying about herself or, you know, something like that? We can take that. The real thing that I wanted to look into really heavily was the word sonata, because that's a musical term. Uh, Beethoven's Moonlight Sonata. Is that Beethoven? Is that Mozart? I don't know. But it's Moonlight Sonata. It That's probably the most famous version of that musical form. But Bergman uses the form of sonata composition in music to tell the story. It's the same structure. Um, and I have this from... It's inside the score on YouTube, but it's also on any source that I looked up uh, on Google beforehand, but it was a very easy chart for me. So, like, there are three parts to a sonata that's being played. Uh, the first part is the exposition. Duh. Um, it exposes and presents all of the main themes and ideas right out of the gate. And it, it throws them all out there. Um, usually it's made up of two groups in different keys to sound differently and create that tension and that conflict early. Check. We'll say that. Um, I think definitely the arrival of, you have the scene of Victor reading and from the book and observing Eva, as well as the delivery of the letter. That's one tone. And then the arrival of Charlotte is part two. So you get that you get those two contrasting um, feels immediately. The middle pit is the development. And the development is 90% probably of the sonata, uh, in which you're taking those themes and you're fleshing each one of them out. So whether it's, you know, the mother-daughter relationship, or if it's identity, how do you live, how do you treat others, uh, what's the responsibility of parents, what's the responsibility of children, you're fleshing out each one of those themes 
in the development section and, you know, just going through them all until you feel like you've covered them appropriately. And then you move into the closing section, the recapitulation, which also, by the way, features a coda. Huh? Huh? That's a musical term, too, by the way. It's a musical term, too. Uh, that's like uh, it's like an additional piece, like a transition piece, which basically recaps the exposition, but with a twist. That's the whole point. It's it's very very similar to the beginning. You come back to the starting point, but there's something new about it. Um, the the conflict is in some way resolved by the end of the sonata piece. And so you could say that the returning to Victor again reading and observing his wife is that recapitulation. And the meeting and giving of the letter and the reading of the letter with a complete shift from how Ava behaved in the development phase is that resolution. Is that, you know, ending is that twist. So, like, Autumn Sonata is technically a sonata, despite the fact that there's no music unless it is played on the piano by some of the characters in the film. <laughs> Mic drop. Diagetic, I will diagetic, not be taking questions diagetic. at this time. Diegetic music? Diegetic <laughs> music, hell yeah. Yeah, yeah. Because I, I didn't know about that term until you mentioned it. I forget what episode it was. It was, it was one tar. of them. And it was tar. Probably. Yeah. Um but um yeah, I mean the 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 film's pretty straightforward up until well the final act pretty much. Um yeah. but like there's there's moments in the film before the climax when we see Charlotte talking to herself and I was asking Mackenzie if like is she a narcissist and you know you were saying yeah Ten mm. Mm. yeah definitely tendencies there um well i think that's kind of her mo and i think that's obviously like the grievances that um eva has with charlotte is that she was not a present mother that she was too involved in her own life and her own pain and her own grievances to pay attention to her children um and so in that sense i mean the answer to your question is yes mm -hmm. yeah because i mean when she was talking to herself and like when she was getting ready for dinner and then it would you know the the film would cut back and forth to Charlotte talking to herself and then Ava with her husband and they're they're talking about each other uh during those those scenes and you could just tell the way that I don't know the way that Charlotte was talking about Ava and I was like hmm something's off here she doesn't seem to really like her that much and then Ava was clearly being sarcastic about the way she was talking about her mother and i'm like okay she don't like her either mm -hmm. <laughs> and, uh, and 
And um, also, you gotta mention that Ava's husband, when she read the letter to him, or he read the letter that she wrote, and then he asked, she asked him if like it's a good idea to invite her and send the letter. He reluctantly said yes because he clearly knew where this was going. <laughs> you could just tell in the way that he said yes and hit the look on his face after like she left the room. He's just like, oh boy, I got to brace myself for the incoming disaster. Uh... <laughs> boy, he's, was he right. He's so smart. He doesn't get involved yeah. at all. He's so smart for that. Yeah, and um, and and then you know, then comes like the piano scene, where they're playing this piece from Beethoven or is it Bach? No, it's Chopin. Schneider. It's um, Chopin. Oh, yeah. Chopin. Okay, yeah, my bad. Um, and the way that Ava plays it, uh, or her interpretation of the. Seems very um kind of somber, like kind of like sad, like a like a like a death almost occurred. I don't know. Yeah. Well, yeah. Is that my am, am I tripping? No, it. She she does mention it's meant to be. She her words were, "You're meant to struggle with it. You're meant to tread through it. You're meant to tread through this piece of work." And well, that's what I think it's a very like it's almost a symbol in the way that Ava is just trying to be a part of her mother's life. Piano was such a huge part of Charlotte's life. And Ava practices and is trying her best. She's so excited to show her mother, you know, like, this is what I've learned. I want to be like you. And, you know, the first thing that instead of, oh, wow, you know, great job, Charlotte goes, no, 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 let me show you how it's done, you know. And that's the beginning of the tension, the beginning of the end, if you will. Mm -hmm. um, and I don't know. I think it's it's brilliant. That was such a powerful scene. Yeah. Yeah, and then... um. Well, yeah, then Charlotte, like, is very um, condescending when she, when she plays it and she, like, explains it. Mm -hmm. She's like, I'm better than you. I know more than you. I know how to play this correctly, not you. And, like, completely misses the point of mm -hmm. the subjectivity of art and one's interpretation of, well, especially classical music. I mean, that's that's the way you played it is your interpretation i mean that's kind of yeah. how it always is with classical music um but yeah the 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 looks that they give each other and then obviously that that shot when ava looks at her while she's playing the piece and she just has that freaking stare <laughs> like staring right into her soul and Charlotte doesn't bat an eye. She's unfazed. She's like, mm, we're still, still playing. Like nothing's there. It's, it's so, God, it's so um, eerie. It's such mm -hmm. an eerie 
like shot. Mm-hmm. Um and it just yeah, I mean that that the way they they play that piece in such different ways. I mean it it showcases, you know, each of their their characters pretty brilliantly. Um yeah. And despite the fact that they're mother and daughter, they're I would say that they're different. Um just based on the fact that how they impact each other and you know despite both having, you know, an inability to love or an inability to, you know, I guess feel good about themselves, feel comfortable in their own skin, they also uh they lack they 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 lack similarity in how they got to that point. Um Charlotte from a point a, a place of no nurturing, no physical touch, no care in that regard. Uh Ava from a point a place of kind of rejection and uh I guess self-hatred due to, you know, just a great amount of self-doubt and uh you know uh, we'll say not positive response from mom um they they both get there different ways but they kind of have become a similar person in that it is difficult for them to find love and that they do things that they kind of ought to and it doesn't matter the quality of what they're doing does it matter like if we talk about you know charlotte continuing to perform despite the fact that she's not that great her reviews have been declining um and she's retired but obviously not she's continuing to do something anything to get people to like her Ava is staying at home, being a wife, being a, you know, caregiver to Elena. Who? Good God, Charlotte. How how dare you abandon your sick we'll daughter because you want to? Lame. No excuse. No excuse for that. I mean, but and Charlotte, or Ava weighs the idea of like you know i i would i would kill myself but i don't want to i mean that's not really it won't do anything to uh help so i'll stay and i'll do what i do that same idea of commitment to i wouldn't say quality but a an output uh, whether that's as a, par- a parent, a wife, a caregiver, or a pianist. I mean, yeah, but uh, to that, I think, well, the way she kind of carries herself, Ava, I mean, she mentions in, um, well, one thing we didn't haven't even mentioned yet, she had a kid, well, she's, well, she had a kid named Eric with her husband, and the child drowned when he was like four, I think she says. 
and she's in his room who they they haven't changed the room it's as is if he was still alive and her mom is in there with her and her mom asked her why she hasn't changed the room and then ava goes on about the idea or her the way she sees eric and she's kind of moved on in a in a way that probably most people wouldn't from a death like that especially it being her own child and at such a young age where she's kind of sees the beauty in it in a way but like through god and how creation and she's kind of grateful for the fact that she had the ability to um have a child and care for it and you know she still kind of sees eric through uh humanity and through other humans and through nature and and through god um and that's kind of like the brief mention of uh of christianity that that bergman kind of throws in here because that's typically a major theme that he uh plays with in most in, in a lot of the films that i've seen um but i thought that that's like a, a pretty important moment to to mention in terms of like getting to know ava before the climax and what she has to say about her mother because in that moment i'm like okay that's that's neat and then thinking about it in retrospect of what she says about her own mother in the final like 30 minutes of the film um it kind of seems to be i wouldn't say there was an ulterior motive to what she said there i think she genuinely believes what she said there but it's it's funny though because from the perspective i don't know from the perspective of charlotte she'd probably see that as like a dig or diss considering what she did to, yeah. uh, to ava and ava's sister uh but yeah i don't know do you you guys you see it the same way <laughs> i don't know i'm kind of just like focused on like just to clarify does ava have two kids i'm struggling to remember so she had she had her child eric and then in the conversation with um, Charlotte, she mentions that there was a child that she had when she was very, very young. Mm -hmm. That is she didn't have No, no, that was a different No, that's kid. a different kid. But she never okay. she didn't the, the, have. She aborted it. She aborted. Okay. That was unclear. Yep. I was. Because her mom wanted, her mom wanted her to abort it. Yeah. So, yeah, it was got a complicated history with children and childbirth in general but in a way she's the mother figure to her sister right now as well yeah it's just i don't know this this film does a beautiful job about just showing the complexities of like motherhood what that means yeah, and that you don't have to be a mother to be a mother you know, like they're, um, 
motherhood embodies so many different things. And I don't know. Just thinking back on it. Bergman does a great job with that. Yeah. Yeah. Yep. And especially these characters. I'm sorry. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Because <laughs> he wrote this. Yeah. Yeah. Jeez. What are I you mean, saying, man? These, I mean, the important thing to know is that these characters know their entire life experiences. That's the whole, that's the impressive acting bit about this is that, you know, as an actor going into a role, you have to know the ending and know your past and know every single scenario that has happened. So when Charlotte arrives at the house in the 15th minute or the 10th minute of the film, Ava knows and Charlotte knows everything that has happened in their life, every negative thing that has been said between each other, whether, you know, piano lessons are still being taken, who's the, who they're married to, who, where their kids are, what's happened in their lives. They know all of this. So I think that, like, I think anything that you think could be a potential dig is. I think that that is, com I think that is completely intentional because they know each other. They've known each other their whole lives, which is kind of a stupid thing to say considering their mother and daughter. But <laughs> they've known each other their whole lives. They know everything about them. Um, yeah. Which, I, I mean, there are so many digs. I mean, for God's sake, there's the whole dress coming down for dinner. Charlotte's like, they're probably expecting me, me to be some morning lazy widow. Uh, and, you know, Ava says basically something to that effect. And so Charlotte comes down in a red gown. And we're like, oh, that's beautiful. Not morning. Not sad, not black. <laughs> just because, I guess. Just to, you know, flex well, she that she's says, got the gown. Charlotte says, Charlotte says when she's getting ready, just to spite Ava, that she literally says it. She's like, I'm just going to wear this to spite her. I mean, if we don't, if 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 it's not clear by the time you get to their evening discussion, or I should say morning discussion, that they're at odds with each other. You didn't watch the movie. Mm -hmm. Yeah. 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 And let's talk about that. Let's talk about the ending. Well, the final act. The absolute roller coaster that was. I mean, where to start? I mean, you got a Charlotte waking up from a nightmare of some dude like trying to get on top of her like kiss her or whatever and then she wakes up she goes downstairs ava hears her she goes downstairs and then you know charlotte mentions ava yeah i had a bad dream you know it's okay just go back to bed and then ava confronts her about like her being there if she even wants to be there or be at the house, like Ava to Charlotte. And then that kind of sparks the whole argument that they have where Ava unravels her various events in her childhood uh, that traumatized her and that has led to this 
amicable, it's very hostile relationship between the two of them. And we see we she exposes the very selfish and narcissistic aspect of Charlotte's life and her character and her role as a as a mother in Ava's life and uh Helena Helena uh Helena um <clears throat> and um it gets crazy cuz like the way that the writing is intense and their acting is Man, it's so amazing. I can't even begin to describe how good it gets. Um, Because, like, it's worth waiting an hour just to get to this part of the film and watch it. Because you, man, when I was watching that, I was just, like, locked in. I was locked in. Um, And, uh... I mean, the first thing that Ava brings up is the fact that her mom was not present in her life as a child. Mm -hmm. She was constantly at in a concert. She either had to leave all the time to go perform. And that left kind of Ava and her dad alone at the house for long periods of mm -hmm. time. And... God knows what Charlotte was doing outside of performing. You know, she may have been on affairs or whatever. And in the middle of the conversation, she does admit that she was unfaithful to her husband at, at one point with some guy named Martin. Um, and she went to live with him after a few months. Oh, yeah. <laughs> yeah. So she, she like, genuinely left the family she left them yeah for another family and yeah yeah charlotte attempts to give an excuse you know oh i was you know i had no choice he made me feel this way and mm -hmm. you know i was lonely and da 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 da, da and it just yeah yeah and then ava you know, blows up on her and she's getting, she's yelling, like raising her voice at her mom. As she's like, and she's like crying as she's saying this when she's like describing the loneliness that she felt as a child. And there's this deep hatred that she feels from her mother because she was never present in her life as a kid. Um, and then, and then that, that hatred, at least for Ava towards her mom, goes even deeper. Um, but I mean, before we get into that, I mean, what what were you, what were you thinking about, like the first part of their argument and their conversation, uh, Max? I mean, the I think the way that we, any audience member will come away with a reflection on that is based on what they believe the duty of a mother is 
I think that if we all had mothers who were present in our lives and offered care and offered compassion in that sort of way, we are of the, I think we are of the inclination to, to believe that, yes, Charlotte's in the wrong for having left and constantly been on the road, making more decisions to stay away from them as long as possible, which, I mean... Again, we can we we can go into the the morality of that as much as we want, but like if we look at, if we twist it in a way where we say she is the main breadwinner of this family, um, she is bringing in all the money. She has to perform in order to maintain livelihood for uh, her two daughters, one who is sick uh, and and requires care care who was in a hospital before being taken out uh, to live with Ava. Um, I mean, I mean, I, say what you will about Sweden, but I'm not sure that everything is 100% free uh, regarding medical care, especially in the, you know, 60s, um, 50s, 60s, <laughs> 70s, whenever this is said. I tried to do the math in my head, didn't work out. Um but the, I think what we think and the audience thinks the duty of a mother is colors how we think that. Because if, if she's doing this to be the breadwinner, to bring home enough money to make sure that her children are cared for in their proper way and that she just doesn't want to be around them because, you know, there is no lasting father figure and she wants to you know be with as many men as she can or be with men who make her feel wanted um and loved more than you know her children we can say we can be maybe be more forgiving and say she earned she's earned that that little respite there and she can uh she can go out and hang out with uh, with martin because she's doing all of this for her family. Of course, that's not the tack that Charlotte goes when she comes back. That's not how she responds. But um, it's also one of the themes is what is the duty of a mother? What is the role of motherhood? I mean, Mackenzie, you were saying it earlier. What is motherhood? What does that mean um, and do you have to necessarily have birthed the child in order to take care of them like a mother would? Yeah, um, I think because of the, because of um, how we see Ava step up in in my view of motherhood, in my definition of motherhood, for all intent and purposes she is the mother of the family she becomes that kind of figure to her sister um because her her mother was not present their mother was not present um and yeah i mean there's no excuse for charlotte to still well First of all, I never think there's an excuse for, like, affairs or cheating or whatever. 
But one one line, and I think this sums up a lot of how Charlotte views her children and views family, is she looks at Ava and is kind of like, sometimes I just wanted you to hold me. Sometimes I just wanted you to be my mm. comfort. And, you know, Ava comes back, but you're my mother. You know, yeah. you are the one who's supposed to be taking care of me. That's not my job, you know. And Charlotte kind of has that view where the entitlement of... She can't even... She can't even separate that. Oh, okay. My children are not about me. They have their own lives, you know. I, I am responsible for ensuring that they get farther in this world, not that they further my agenda, you know, like, so I think that kind of, I don't know, what do you guys think? I think that kind of, like, <laughs> simplifies Charlotte's mindset. Yeah. I mean, yeah, you're right. That line that Ava tells her is pretty spot on <laughs> in terms of describing who Charlotte is. Um <clears throat> But I think even more so than that, the way when Ava is is telling her mom about mm -hmm. the times when she was a child and she's felt abandoned, I mean, she legitimately abandoned her family. Yeah. Like she went far beyond like doing her job, her, like career. Uh, and she just straight up was like, even when she was home, I mean, Ava gets that. That feeling, as she describes when she was a kid, where she's like, when you were home, it didn't even feel like you loved me. It didn't mm -hmm. even feel like you I, you wanted to be there. You just kind of always wanted to be gone. Like, you didn't, you didn't want to have anything to do with the family. And yet Ava was so, so excited every time her mom came back home. Because she loved her mom. She loved her mom. And she was always so excited to uh, be with her. And... And you know there was that one, that one thing she she talked about when her mom was home, and she was practicing her music in in her like music room or whatever. And Ava walks in. She she gives her like coffee or whatever, and then she sits on the ground because Charlotte's on her break. She's not playing anything right now, and then. Charlotte tells her, "Oh, you can leave. Mm -hmm. You know, I, it's I want my alone time. Let me have my alone time." <laughs> like, yeah, like you always have your alone time. You're always on the road, bro. <laughs> what you mean? Like when you're home, you know, I get practicing. Obviously, you kind of have to practice if you're going to perform in front of a, a a large audience. But like, you know, there's if your kid wants to hang out with you. You hang out with your kid. Yeah. You know, you give her that attention, that affection, that love that the kid wants and needs from a from their parent. You don't just cast them aside and be like, oh, go play outside. It's it's a beautiful day out there. <laughs> you know? And yeah. And I think the major factor in Charlotte's um sometimes I wanted you to hold me is the context of when she said it. Um, and when, what the time in which she was referring to when Ava was young and a child, 
it is very, very common now, at least, that when parents get older, the children then turn into the caregivers and take care. I've seen it recently with both of my parents. My mom taking care of her dad uh, and my dad taking care of his dad. Um, it got it got to points where, you know, they weren't able to, you know, function or take care of themselves. So they needed to find and make arrangements to make, to help their parents, to be the one to hold their hand and help them walk to, you know, the bathroom or the, uh, I mean, it's metaphor, the metaphorical first day of school, whether it's, you know, uh, chemotherapy or if it's, um, radiation or if it's um you know up and down a hospital hall you know it turns into the children being the strong one the mature one the uh, all together there one helping the adult who has parented them their whole life who is now regressing into a kind of like it's the whole it's you know not to quote the lion king but it's the circle of life it all kind of comes back to the same point um, but Charlotte's referring to a spot when Ava's like 10, less, younger. That's not her obligation yet. She can't take care of her mother. And you could all, you could always ask for a hug. I'm sure that Ava would be happy to hug you, but... Charlotte's made sure to kind of put this wall up, sequester herself away in her piano room or on the road or wherever to make sure that that doesn't happen. Mm. And like, yeah, we can say it is, you know, the obligation of the child to take care of the parent at some point, not there. And Charlotte, while... I guess somewhat righteous in what she's saying. Missed, missed again. Swinging a miss. Oh for two. Uh, <laughs> oh for two. Not 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 batting well. Charlotte is. <laughs> yeah. And then uh, Charlotte like tries to pull the victim card and like, mm-hmm. no, I was going through so much. I uh, I actually was struggling. I um. What did she say? Do you, do you remember? She was like, I was stressed no, out about something. I don't know. It's just some dumb BS excuse. I can't love anybody. You know, yeah, I, she, I know she says like that. that. But clearly she did. I mean, there's an example of someone she loves in the film, Leonardo, who I don't even know. Is that like her second husband? It's her lover. Like that. That's all that's described. <laughs> Oh, okay. Who we know was also intertangled with her daughter, Helena. In, like, in some way, yeah. What? Ooh. That's craziness. Icky. Gross. Yeah, because then that's another little an- anecdote that Ava Ava tells Charlotte about that Charlotte didn't know of. And th- this part was wild to me. Mm-hmm. Um, when Ava was talking about a time they were all in some house or whatever. 
and Leonardo was playing music, and uh, Helena, Helena, I'm going to call her Helena, uh, when she fell in love with Leonardo, who, by the way, she was like 15, 14, he was like in his 40s. A man. Old. <laughs> Too old. <laughs> <laughs> man, was, man was like yeah dude was could be someone's grandpa at that point um and they like kiss when everyone was gone they kissed um and then uh charlotte left to go to a concert to perform at and Leonardo was after sh after Charlotte had left, he was very upset and like not being himself, just being very fussy. Cause we see a flashback and you know, Ava's narrating this flashback. Um and Leonardo finally has enough and he leaves and it's just Helena and Ava alone in the house. And out of nowhere, Helena begins to begins to like exhibit symptoms of the disease that she has. Um, well, I know that there that was going on a little bit before. They knew she was sick. They knew she was kind of like coming down with something. She wasn't like totally um, healthy, if I remember. And then. When Leonardo Leonardo left to be with Charlotte, and that's when Helena kind of like fell apart. And Ava then blames her mother for Helena's illness, which oof, oof, that it's a low blow. It's a low blow. Very, very low. I mean, I mean, honestly. That tracks symbolically for me. Like, with Charlotte's leaving, like, the four of them were the happy family unit. Everyone's together, working, happy, feeling okay. She decides, oh, it's Leonardo that's making Helena feel better. Therefore, I can dip four days early from vacation and go play a show uh, or at least or no talk to the conductor in peace and quiet about the show that i'll play after this vacation is over dumb but uh she doesn't think that it's her presence that is also contributing she thinks oh it's just leonardo who's who's really you know helping helena along and making him be more charming, charismatic, kind, and making everything work because it's everyone together. Like you've got those simple machines, the uh, like the Rube Goldberg machines. You take one piece out of that, it's not gonna work. It's broken. Ta-da! Everyone starts to break down afterwards. Leonardo becomes worse. Elena becomes worse. Ava is then thrust into the caregiver position again. Mm -hmm. 
Yeah. Um. I mean, I don't entirely blame Ava for saying that. I understand her anger. I get. I get why she said that. I sympathize yeah. with her. In fact, however, I. Yeah, I think some. Yeah, symbolically, yes. Obviously, no duh. I mean, Charlie had nothing to do with the fact that Helena got sick, but mm. I guess to pin Charlotte down in an attempt to one up her mom in a in a very low blow, might I say? You are right; it is a low blow. Mm-hmm. Um, to finally say, like, you know what? I've had enough of you. You, mom, you're terrible. And frankly, your skill issue, dude, skill issue, that you're a terrible mom. That one that one was probably the most forced one. That was forced. <laughs> I forced that one in there. You're really trying. Yeah, that I'm, one I I'm forced so, it, I'm not gonna lie. Um, I'm just so glad we didn't bring back the other catchphrase. And I don't I'm not reminding you of it because then you're gonna say it. So many. It wouldn't apply. It wouldn't apply in this film because no one gets. Wouldn't apply to Eric. Yep. No, no, I wouldn't say that. He's a child. Come on, he's four. Thank you, thank you. I'll can't. I'll give him some slack. Thank you, dear God. (laughs) (laughs) It's such a morbid moment. I mean, a four-year-old child drowns. That's pretty sad. Um, but anyways. Now you mention it, I really want to say it, but I'm not. Don't. No, don't. Okay, anyways. Thinking it earlier. Moving right past that, there's the other bit, too, that I, you know, love in the creation of this this torment, in that Ava never learns to love herself, and cannot learn to love herself, and cannot believe anyone who tells her that they love her. And I, I love it because it's hinted at, at the beginning, and that, that's the whole key to the whole piece. You got Victor narrating at the beginning, something that uh, Ava wrote in a book earlier that she published. I mean, she's accomplished, Ava is. Um, but he reads out the passage that's... Um, uh, one must learn to live... I practice every day. I don't know who I am. If anyone loves me as I am, I may dare at last to look at myself. She won't he wants to tell her that he loves her, but she fear he fears that she won't believe him. He doesn't have the words to express how true that is. Because insincerity has been the absolute key to Charlotte's relationship with her children. Um whenever it was like whenever she was angry with Ava, Charlotte would say, my dear little girl, which is not really, that's a sweet, endearing thing. Not you crusty little ragamuffin or you soul-eating troll. She's not pulling out any of those. She's um, She's using kindness to then tear her down she's changing everything about her she's making her wear dresses and forbidding her from wearing pants she's changing the color of her hair the length of her hair uh because charlotte doesn't like it therefore ava cannot have it doesn't matter if ava likes it or not 
that whole idea of disregard for Ava's identity and not validating who she is as a person means that she doesn't know who she is as she grows up. She wasn't able to establish her own identity. It was Charlotte establishing that for her. And I think that's like the the biggest, biggest red flag, the biggest flaw in Charlotte's character. The one that made me think, oh my god, this lady does actually kind of (laughs) suck. Kind of? Kind of, yeah, I mean... I, I say yes, because, like, I, you know, if we were to, I would hope that if I come home with a tattoo on my butt, that my parents might be a little disappointed, but they won't command me to remove it. <laughs> because hopefully, I got that while I was in a good frame of mind, and... You know, I made a choice that was that was good for me. And they respect that and they say, you know, we don't agree with you, but we respect your ability to choose that uh, unfortunate permanent marking. I mean, even with wardrobe, I mean, she'll love me for bringing this up. My sister uh, had a had a period of time in which she would only wear t-shirts and gym shorts and had her hair cut short. And so she kind of looked like a boy. Uh, now we affectionately refer to that period as boy Celia phase. Um, but uh, it, my mom didn't force her to wear a dress didn't force her into into things that she didn't want to wear. She let her make that make that choice and make her as comfortable as possible as moving on. I mean it was it was very it was the exact response that you could kind of hope for from parents. I mean, they might they have been disappointed. Oh, you're not gonna wear a dress, you're not gonna be, you know, I guess, like, I don't know, put it in quotes, my pretty little daughter or something like that. There might there might have been disappointment, but there wasn't the absolute refusal of that choice and forcing of her into a completely different lifestyle that she didn't want and completely destroying sense of self. Because now my sister will addresses. Now she will go out and she has long hair and she has all she does all this stuff. Like that one would expect, I guess. But she figured that out herself. She knows who she is. She's got that identity. And bam, you, you, because she was able to figure it out and was allowed the room to make a choice. Charlotte doesn't allow Ava that room. Nope. And now they're both clueless. Yeah. I mean, it went so far as to have... Ava abort her first child when she was 19 that she had. Mm-hmm. And Ava wanted to have the kid. Mm-hmm. But yeah. Charlotte was like, no, you you gotta abort it. And her excuse was that she thought that 
it wasn't a good idea for her to have the baby. Right? Is that what she said? Something like that? I th- uh, Yeah. Something like that. That sounds... Right? Yeah. But I mean, yeah. I mean, going to show that, like, she she had the... the um, she pulled away the autonomy of Ava. I mean, Ava even goes so far as to say, like, there was a moment in her childhood when her mom came back from a tour... And she couldn't really say anything because she was so excited. She was so excited to see her mom and she had no words. She was speechless. And because of that, her mom thought, oh, she wasn't happy to see me. Therefore, I'm not going to really give her any attention. But that wasn't the case. She just didn't know what to say. And then she goes, she goes, she can, she follows that up with, because you, you, um, I think she says you had all con- you had all control over all the words in the house, something like that. Mm-hmm. Um, Ava says to her mom in the uh, in the argument present te- present day. Um, and then you know, there's another moment when they're talking about Ava's talking about a time when her mom went through a phase of trying to make Ava read all these books. And um, mm-hmm. trying to kind of mold Ava in this perfect image that Charlotte wanted her to be in, living vicariously through her. So, uh, no, 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 that's not right. Um, trying, yeah, trying to mold Ava to be to be what she thought like a daughter should be, mm, a, a girl should be, or maybe n- not only that, but also I would say like. To be a good reflection of Charlotte. In a way, yeah. yeah. I mean, children are a reflection of you in like a a way, a mm-hmm. sense. Mm-hmm. But um but yeah, as Ava's talking about this 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 moment, she's like, I didn't understand any of what I read. But she's she's like, I did understand that. Not a single shred of the authentic me was what you even loved or wanted. Yeah. And she, and when she's like, I mean, I have it on the screen here, but, you know, she goes, she breaks down, Ava breaks down, um, and like is screaming at her mom. And it's just like that crescendo and uh, cacophony of, of emotion. And then uh, her mom brings up the pregnancy thing. Mm-hmm. After that, to kind of like justify her actions. Um. <laughs> you see a shot of of Ava's husband in the background, just like listening to this whole thing going down, and he's just like disappointed. He's like, "Oh my lord, what 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 is going on here?" <laughs> Poor guy can't say anything because I mean. What is he going to say? You know, what What can you say? You just kind of have to let him hash it out, mm-hmm. you know? Yeah. Um, but, uh, oh, my God, so powerful. I mean, so powerful between Liv and Ingrid. Damn, they are, wow, incredible. But then let the ending sit in after everything's been said. Oh, my gosh, I know, man. Dude, okay, okay. She's a narcissist. Charlotte's a narcissist through and through. 
Who? They're ch- a child. Only a child with a parent who is a narcissist would have that reaction. Would say all of that. Would hash everything out. All their trauma. Everything they dealt with. They would hash all that out only to regret, only to come back and be like, oh, I'm so sorry. I'm so sorry I was being too mean. That was too harsh. Can you please forgive me? Only, only a child who was raised by a narcissist would have that reaction. Am, am I wrong? Am I tripping? No. Okay. You, well, you think I'm tripping, Max? I don't think so. I don't no. think so. I think you're right. I would like to pose this question. Can reconciliation happen between the two of them? Can it be mended? And should it be? It's the better question. I think it can. I think it can be mended. And I think it should be mended. However, the only way that it can is if Charlotte changes. However, at this point in her life, in her life she's what, like 60? maybe even 70 you know she's old um so the chances of her changing and seeing the wrongs that she made in the past are slim to none unless she has like a come to jesus moment like um her old pal ikiru (laughs) wantanabe right that was his name yeah that was his name yeah right yeah um yeah, unless she has a come to Jesus moment, and she's like, "Oh, I did. Uh, I, my bad. I was bad. I was a bad person. Let me, uh, let me right some wrongs here." Unless that happens, then the relationship won't be mended because it won't be on Ava's terms. It will be only on Charlotte's terms because in this relationship, Charlotte has all the power. Uh, over Ava. Ava has no real... Basically, Charlotte doesn't have any respect for Ava. She has zero respect for her child, despite what she may say. Uh, and this kind of... And I think this also... The, this is a an aspect of the film that I think is so brilliant, is it showcases this extremely toxic relationship between uh, a parent and their child obviously more specifically a mother and their daughter um but like parents who you know that uh think the way that charlotte kind of thinks because you know there's there's plenty of um narcissistic parents out there that shouldn't have children because of the result that we see in this film um, but yeah. what, what, were you, what were you gonna say? What was your answer? I don't think it can be mended, but I do think that it should. I think so much of what this also touches on is the idea of generational trauma and how everything can pass down from one link to another and absolutely destroy a family because someone, maybe it was Charlotte's mother, maybe it was Charlotte's grandmother, but had an issue with uh, 
parenting or or closeness or love or proximity or respect or their identity and it's led to problems all the way down the line i don't think it can be mended because i think that these people are stuck in the way that they are and the way that they were made and the way that they were brought up because we're all amalgamations of our parents shortcomings and flaws and i mean yeah good things too i guess i mean none none of neither of my parents can dance as well as i can so ha but <laughs> the but the uh like we're all made up of the flaws of the previous generation and like that's sort of why i say it can't be fixed because they're to a point now where they are the people that they are and barring agreed barring the jesus moment they will stay the people that they are and that's not entirely their fault it's the fault of you could say it's the fault of the person before and it's not their fault but it's the fault of the person before them but it should be mended they should try for reconciliation, but I don't think they can. Yeah. And you're entirely right about the generational trauma thing, because uh, Charlotte does mention that her parents, well, she doesn't really remember her parents because they were kind of also not in the picture. Mm -hmm. so they were distant. That, yeah. What would you say, though? I would err on the side of... It cannot be fixed without outside interventions. They cannot fix it themselves, one. Two, it should be mended. Yes, of course. Um, I don't know. I'm therapy. It's a great thing. I think they should try it sometime. <laughs> <laughs> and prayer, too. Family intervention prayer time. Too. Yeah. Um, oh, man. Yeah, I mean, it's so deep-seated. And when you are that old, you, you are, like you said, Max, kind of, you are your person. It's very hard to um, unlearn a lot of what you've learned your entire life at that point. Um, again, not impossible, but family therapy. They should sign up. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Agreed. Yeah. Good God. Um, man, their conversation goes on for a long time. Now that I think about it, it's like longer than Half 30 hour. minutes. It's like 40 minutes. Fantastic. Yeah. It's I want so to mention that my favorite line throughout the whole thing. Um... Where is she? It's when Ava. It's here. I think somebody somebody wrote it in a review that I read. Hold on, let me find it. Ah, here it is. Ava says this to Charlotte. A mother and a daughter. What a terrible combination of feelings and confusion and destruction. I mean, if that doesn't sum it up more perfectly, I don't know what does. <laughs> Uh, 
damn. Yeah, I mean, I mean, yeah. I'm ready to move to my special segment. If, unless you folks have any uh, additional talking points. Also, too, Charlotte says the only things she remembers about her deliveries of Helena and Ava is that they hurt. Oh, yeah. <laughs> Nothing else. A good not, one. The joy, not the joy of holding your child in your arms after delivering the baby, but the hurt. <laughs> I mean, valid. But damn, that's it? Yeah. That's all. Yeah, anything else? No. Take it away, Max. Okay. Welcome, welcome, welcome to tonight's segment. Everything but the kitchen sink. Uh now you've heard the you've heard the saying, uh, everything but the kitchen sink before, right, Tristan and Mackenzie? Yes. Yeah. Yeah. Great. Because this, everything but the kitchen sink, is a game show. Yeah. <laughs> okay. In, in which you will both respond. Because in that 45-minute confrontation uh, with her mother, Eva throws everything at her, except the kitchen sink. Uh, <laughs> therefore, we're going to go through some quotes. And uh, I want you to tell me Who said it? If, Eva, if Ava said it or if she didn't say it. Okay? Oh, that's good. Right. That's did, good. She say, did she say this to her mother? Or to her mother, or did she not say this to her mother? Your responses are, she said it, or she didn't say it. Alright? Are you ready? Who would like to go first? I can go first. Alright, Mackenzie goes first. Alright, here we go. Ready? Did she say it, or did she not say it? On everything but the kitchen sink. The mother's injuries are to be handed down to the daughter. The mother's failures are to be paid for by the daughter. The mother's unhappiness is to be the daughter's unhappiness. It's as if the umbilical cord had never been cut. Ooh, I do remember this quote. It's in the movie. She said it. She said it. She did say it. That's a correct answer. That's a point. All right. Tristan. Are the daughter's miseries the mother's triumphs? Yeah, she said that. She did say it. That's that's a point yeah. for you. I think you'll I think you'll get the gimmick. Uh Mackenzie, you're up. <laughs> a, mo a mother and a daughter. What a terrible combination. She said that. I remember that line. She did she say it. Yeah. She did say it. Uh Tristan. You said my hair was too long and you had had it cut short. It was hideous. Then you thought I had crooked teeth and you got me braces. I looked so grotesque. You would buy me books and I would read them and not understand them and you would make me talk about them and I would always be afraid you, that you would show up my stupidity. I believe she said that to her mom. She said it to her mom. <laughs> You're darn right she did. Alright, Mackenzie, ready? Yes. You expect an exception for you. You've set up a sort of discount system with life, but one day you'll see that your agreement is one-sided. Oh, 
You know, I don't really remember one, but I'm going to trust that she said it. <laughs> he said it. Yes, she did. <laughs> Tristan. You talk of my hatred. Your hatred was no less. Uh, yeah, she said that. She said it. <laughs> uh, okay, Mackenzie. You managed to injure me for life, just as you are injured. Oh, such a great quote. She said it. She did say it. <laughs> Correct. <laughs> Tristan. She said it. But <laughs> she said hang on, it. hang on. Gotta wait until I finish the question. It's just like Family Feud. But one thing I did understand, not a shred of the real me could be loved or accepted. I didn't care to be I didn't dare to be myself even when I was alone because I hated what was my own. Um Nah, she said that for sure. She said that. Yeah, yeah she yeah. said that. Yeah, she did. <laughs> okay, I've got two more rounds, I think. Two more rounds. Mackenzie. Mm -hmm. People like you are a menace. You should be locked away and rendered harmless. Ooh. She said that. She did say that. Yes, she did. Mm -hmm. Tristan. You've shut yourself you've shut up inside yourself and always standing in your own light. Yeah, she said that. Darn right she did. Mackenzie. Is the daughter's misfortune the mother's triumph? Is my grief your secret pleasure? She said it. Yeah, she did. Tristan. <laughs> All that was sensitive and delicate, you attacked. All that was alive, you tried to smother. She said it. She did say it. All right. Final round. Tiebreaker round. Whoever oh, answers first, once I finish, wins. The day. <laughs> We're ready. There can be no forgiveness. She didn't. She, she didn't she say didn't, it. She never said that. Yeah, she never said that. She said it in a narration. Oh, wait, no, no, no. She did say it in the letter. Wait. Oh, my God. Wait. No, 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 no. Her husband said... No, no, she said that to herself in the cemetery. Mm, my final answer is she did not say that. She that's, said... That's she, my final answer. She said it in the narration to herself. She didn't say it to her mom. She did say it, and I believe, if I'm remembering correctly, she did say it to her mother at the very end. Mm. Because so we this wouldn't have been in the writing. So technically, on a technicality, because he changed his answer, we'll say Tristan, but wrong on the initial. I was wrong. Uh, I, I said she you did were it wrong. The first time. Damn. All right, super oh. double tie, super double tiebreaker. Ready? Super double <laughs> tiebreaker. I'm ready. Super double tiebreaker.
Everything is possible and is done in the name of love and solicitude. She did not say that. Correct, Mackenzie wins. Thank you for playing Everything But the Kitchen Sink. Again, these are all real things that Ava said to her mother in the one argument in the last 45 minutes of this film. <laughs> that was fun. That's a lot of one-liners. A lot of great one-liners. It's so good. The writing is so good in this. It's so freaking good. Got a spotlight that damn. Oh man. But All right, what we have one more segment. It's oh. I know, I know what the best fit was. Right, it's our new it. segment. Go, go. Take it. Uh Ava's like gray coat like trench coat she wore at the end of the film when she was in the cemetery you know what i'm talking about i'm getting there it's uh towards the end yeah it is you think that's it just the gray trench coat i like the look of it i think it looks dope I know it's very simple, but still, I think it looks good. Fair. Mm. Mackenzie, you got to pick who had the best trip. Well, I'm shocked because I'm going to just be real. Their drip was not dripping. (laughs) (laughs) But um, I'll probably have to go personally with Charlotte's red dress. I mean... It's an iconic moment. <laughs> that that would be my answer. Yeah. I think it's either that or Ava's green um, dress at the same point for, for ready for dinner. Mostly mm-hmm. because at this point I was wondering how many Christmas references I could make and seeing yeah. if I could make that, that bonus segment Christmas themed because they're red and green. <laughs> but I did like the green. Oh, okay. Looking very um Quaker, I guess. Yeah. <laughs> Mennonite type beat. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, Mennonite type beat. The Swedes. Swedes going utilitarian on us. Right? No, I'm tripping. That was that okay. I didn't say that. Yeah. All right, don't clown on me. That was <laughs> that was bad. That was really bad. Not utilitarian. That was no. I know my I know my aesthetics and movements. Trust me, I know them. Just not now, though. Yeah, not now. Not not in that moment. <laughs> it's okay. To be fair, I was wearing an outfit today. I'm wearing green corduroy pants, and I was wearing a white t-shirt earlier today. Tristan said that looked utilitarian, so. I don't know. What is utilitarian? That's a conversation for another day. Yeah. Let's not get in the weeds of that. <laughs> Fair enough. Um, but that may do it I for guess, us. I guess that's it. I mean, we not. I don't really have much to say about the film. I mean, it was a I good mean, discussion. Yeah. I mean, I'll be honest. If you really want to make things 
super uncomfortable with your family this Thanksgiving, you could watch this film with them and then listen to our podcast episode. You know, I'm giving you this advice at the end. This is great advice for the beginning of the, the episode, honestly. Uh, you could make your whole family super uncomfortable just by watching this. You know, just snuggle up next to your mom and uh, watch this film. Finish it. Mom looks at you. You trying to tell me something? And just play the next cinematic odyssey. (laughs) (laughs) But again, if you want um, a little bit more of the uh, the family friendly uh, stuff, I mean, again, find our Instagram odyssey.of.cinema. We're working on creating more content in that vein, I guess, Uh, and. Also, for more family fun and, you know, just a great, uh, I guess we'll call it G-rated Thanksgiving week, you could watch the next movie ahead of time. Yeah, G-rated, G-rated, yeah, that's the lowest, yeah, general one. Yeah, there we go. The the G-rated Thanksgiving with everybody, watch the next episode uh, movie ahead of time. That's Martin Scorsese's The Wolf of Wall Street. Yeah. Let's go, baby. Wolfie, you know, just Wolfie, Wolfie, Wolfie. Screw Thanksgiving football. Sit down with your family. Get the turkey. Get the stuffing. Get the mashed potatoes. Get everything out on the table. Put it on your plate and throw on The Wolf of Wall Street because nothing is more appetizing when you're eating dinner than Leonardo DiCaprio's butt. <laughs> Wait, you've seen this? I think you haven't seen it. I, I just know that he's got his butt out. Oh, yeah, he does. Multiple times. Yeah, exactly. Um, But yeah, it's, uh, <laughs> I can't wait. I can't wait to talk about it next week. It's going to be so fun. It's going to be so fun. I'm so um, scared. Don't be. Don't be. You're not. Nothing scary happens. I mean, unless you think uh unless you think like um like the stockbrokers i guess yeah. i guess if you wall call, street if, is scary yeah there you go wall street's scary that's scary i guess broad yeah, yeah pump and yeah. dump scheme scary it's it's scary in the same way existentialism is scary and that I don't get it, but I. Oh no no no! Here we go. There's a better idea. This is this is why it would be scary, that this is the American dream that people want to achieve. That's that's the scary part. There you go. There you go. But is it scarier than a bridge? Because I'm terrified of bridges. This is I mean, a genuine get, feeling of mine. If you get if you get existential about Wolf of Wall Street, which I have, then yeah. Great. <laughs> what if I just, I'm just, I'm just watch it on a bridge? How about that? Two for one. You genuinely afraid? Yeah, of I'm gen. I'm, I'm genuinely afraid of bridges. Oh wow, interesting. I am terrified. You know when you get that that, that it's that sound of the different pavement going over the bridge. Mm-hmm. I get goosebumps. I shake when I when we hit that little change. I have gone through Pittsburgh. There are too many bridges in Pittsburgh. Yeah, it's like, it's like, ha! Ah, it's the worst. 
It's terrible. Oh, man. I'm genuinely afraid of bridges. Spooky scaries bridges. Yeah. (laughs) It's okay. My fear is whales. Terrified of them. Don't like them. At least you'll never encounter one. Never say never. I hope to never. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, let's hope you don't. (laughs) My friend, we were in... Sorry, sorry. Little little tangent. It'll be short. We were in Hawaii, and she forced me on a um, whale-watching trip. I didn't know. Most terrifying moment of my life. How old were you? I didn't see any. I was about 16, 17. Oh, okay. Yeah. <laughs> I'm sorry. Never that was not polite. Yeah. <laughs> oh, the scary blue whale. Beluga whales. Oh, spooky. I'm just kidding. Beluga <laughs> whales are cute so, though. They got the the white. They're the white ones with like the oblong shaped head. Yeah. Yeah, those. Belugas are cute. Yeah, those are cute. Um, what are you afraid of, Tristan? Um, demons. Oh, yours are like a. Oh, I got one. I got a good fear. Uh huh. I gotta go on. Is it? Mike Trout never winning a World Series with the Angels. That's a big fear of mine. And let me expand that actually. Uh, one of my biggest fears is not seeing the Angels win a World Series in my lifetime. There you go. Uh. Technically, I did. I did. <laughs> but I was two. Okay. That yeah. Count. I was two. I had just turned to on game six of the 2002 World Series uh, where Scott Spezio hit that three-run home run, turned the series around, and beat the Giants in game seven. Classic. Love that. But that doesn't count because I was two, so. Yeah. Yeah. What's their their playoff drought at now? Uh, Almost 10 years. It'll be 10 years starting next season. If and do they keep an Otani? Honestly, just I don't a little think bit so. of dread in there. I think he's gone. I think he's gone. I think he's, he's leaving. L. Yeah, whatever. It is what it is. Yeah. But anyways, we next un- Yeah. No, are you saying? We got real. We uncovered fears. But yeah, next week. <laughs> next week, Wolf of Wall Street... Um, I'm sure all of you listening know what that film is. Um, it's Scorsese's one of, like, that's probably one of his most famous works outside of, like, Goodfellas and, uh, what else, like? Taxi Driver? Mm, I wouldn't, no, I wouldn't say that's one of, I mean, that's famous, but that's not, like, mainstream level famous. Like, Goodfellas, mainstream level famous. Wolf of Wall Street, or like um, the Departed, Shutter Island, like Shutter Island, maybe. God, I don't know. I know you don't like that one. I don't. Trust me, this one's better. Good. Is this your second Scorsese that you're watching? Third. Well, third? is my third? No, it's my fourth actually. Hey. Wait, so you Shutter Island. 
Oh, that's another yeah, one of the famous books, The Departed. Departed, Shutter Island, um, it'll be Wolf of Wall Street, and then Killers of the Flower Moon. Oh, right, right. Okay. Yeah. Um... Yeah, Wolf of Wall Street, get your whole family, including the babies. Get the babies there. They got to watch it. It's essential cinema. Now, on a serious note, though, it, it is a, I think it's a masterpiece and one of Scorsese's best films in his entire career. Um, and I know I say that a lot on this podcast. Um, but so be it. Deal with it. it it's my opinion. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, I, I gotta stop talking. We've gone on too long. <laughs> Anyways, thank you, thank you everybody for listening. Have a have a great Thanksgiving. Um, for all those that celebrate that, uh, in America. Um, for our non-American listeners, have a great holiday if you have one this week. I don't know if you do. I doubt it, but um, <laughs> it's have a great holiday Wednesday season. otherwise. Yeah, great <laughs> Thursday and Wednesday. <laughs> um, and yeah, catch us next week for Wolf of Wall Street. This has been Autumn Sonata on the Cinematic Odyssey forever. <laughs>